0: As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, this is the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton. Got a funny episode today variety of topics some hunting related some not you know I think I throw in a little bs here and there but I think I'm going to title this minivan problems and off-season topics and that is because I am dealing with a minivan crisis uh, <laughs> the family van is not working and we're juggling vehicles and it's very stressful and I sold my truck lost my bird dog I don't know two weeks ago My my life is like a country song right now it is a busy time, but I am still getting in the timber here and there. I took some PTO and been doing a little walking. Um, I do want to mention Patreon. I want to appreciate you guys. I have tried to be putting out oh, more of our scouting type content to those guys. Uh, appreciate those guys giving to the brand. And uh, that allows me to display, I don't know, more of my tactical thoughts, maybe information that I don't want out to the masses and yeah, I feel way more comfortable giving those guys the eyes of of like, oh, the best trail cam from last year, the the ambush point I messed up on, uh, where I found that deadhead the other day. I mean, that was a hammer deadhead, and it's definitely some things maybe I notice that uh, I don't I don't know. I keep a little close to the vest, you know. I think you got to do that these days. The main part of this uh, podcast will be the hunting rigs, uh, I, the Ohio DNR has come out with their improvements and stuff and I'm I'm gonna throw that audio actually in at the end after I get through some of this off season stuff. Proposals are interesting. I don't love the fact that they're not accounting for some of the EHD in counties and I think it's kind of a little ridiculous, if you will, when it's very apparent that states even one to the west like Indiana have so much in play when they realize EHD is breaking out. But the only thing you can do is fill out your surveys and I will be posting a link shortly with the open house like your your ability to leave comments for the DNR uh, if you watch the white tail experience feed social media feed I should be posting that posting that shortly and I did I was having a conversation with Shannon Long the other day a, a, a very good deer hunter here locally and talked about this with Jake Bush as well and that is I think next year's going to be worse and I think that because we had a on par averageish hunting numbers of deer taken and you combo that with an EHD outbreak and this might be a touch more buck centered it does seem like EHD hits the bucks hard although my buddy Larry found nine dead deer on his I don't know 70 80 acre property and it was like a 60 40 split between does and bucks and like that's not a huge uh, amount of acres right like under 100 acres nine dead deer And, and presumably from EHD, I think most of those were found in his correct system. So that just kind of shows like it, it, I think we had like an average-ish harvest overall numbers and you combo that, I just, there are, there are some places that are going to be hurting for deer population, I think for about three to five years. Uh, In other news, I did try and have, oh, I had my forester guy out to the, the family farm. I was trying to actually acquire some cash to maybe buy another, you know, a place, if you will. And he kind of did some timber evaluation, and long story short, just not, not as easy to do. Now, my buddy Larry did advise me to maybe shop around a little bit. He said the forester guys are a little hippy dippy on the for- forest ecosystem, and he goes, "You want a little cash for future better deer hunting, and you understand how much your place could benefit from um, a, a clear cut, if you will." And so. I don't know. He said sometimes in forester guys aren't exactly the the most ideal to deal with, and I had to do that via my programs in the um, state forestry program, which you can save fifty percent on your taxes. So I thought that was worth mentioning. Basically, the it comes down to you might have let's call it you know five grand in timber, but the local logger and sawmill distance and price of diesel and trucks and equipment like. It's all got to work out. And yes, you might have valuable timber, but the job has to be a break-even point for the logger. I think that's kind of common, but I was kind of sitting there mentally thinking, oh yeah, like I can not only improve my property, spend zero time doing it, put a little cash in my pocket to stash away in the S&P for two to three years, and then take that money and hopefully buy a another small place for my boy and I to hunt. Uh, thinking longer term and uh, price of land, and thinking access is becoming so much more uh, apparent in the public land boom. I'm I'm trying to get another piece. I think at this point. So I uh, I did scout the small piece that day. Uh, I found no sheds, and I know there was one shed spiker or four pointer there. Uh, the big buck obviously dropped his antlers in December. I scouted a little bit. Saw some good things. A lot of tracks. A lot of action. Um, running a couple cams out there that I pulled for that had been out there all season. Scouted a, a few times in, in the timber, oh, good like seven mile days or big days, if you will. And let's see here. I found one older shed, but a solid buck the one day, kicked up a few different deer, pulled some cams, uh, got some stuff marked on the map, kind of putting a priority on um, marking a few more of our early season food sources. Knowing next year I'll probably get to hunt a few more evenings. Uh, This year, obviously, with having a a new baby girl, my wife kind of said I'd like you home for the second half of the day. But I think next season I'll be able to slip out and do a few more evening hunts. I do have a note here as far as scouting items and what I've been doing. When, when I put on any more than about four miles, I do kind of step up my foot care and I, uh, I'll link these I think they're worth mentioning but the injiji socks, which is basically a thin merino toe sock and I got turned onto these by a guy who does like some ultra races. We're talking like 60 mile races. Uh, he used to work out at my gym and I was telling him I got a hot spot between uh, toes on my, my left left foot. And he was like, dude, like anytime I, I do anything above 10 miles, I put these on underneath my running socks. And this dude, like, clearly he does like overnight rucks. He does some beyond tough Mudder military esque long races and knows his shit. And so these in Gingis, it's like, like a merino wool for your feet and just prevents hot spots, blisters. The other thing sometimes I do is take a. Leuco tape and just put it over my heel in case I'm going to get a little heel slip. My thing is, is with foot care, what I have found out, and obviously listening to guys like Snyder, it's like, it's all about preventing any sort of needed treatment. So those are a few things I thought I would mention here. I've mentioned those in plenty of YouTube videos, but never really on the podcast. And it's two different audiences or limited crossover audience. I, I can tell that. I do have another gear item here, bag problems. Let me pause for a sip of coffee here. I'm on the warm-up here. (laughs) I don't know if it got talked about on any other podcast, but Rick of Whitetail Experience, Dave, and myself are in the uh, cold plunge. Cold water is good for the body, is good for all your mental toughness. So Rick and I bought these, I don't know, they're inflatable bathtubs uh, off Amazon. Basically keeping them in our garages and then Occasionally dumping some ice in there, or freezing water bottles, and, and doing some of the cold plunges you've seen talked about on Joe Rogan, uh, YouTube. If you type in like cold plunge or ice plunge, there's plenty of stuff on there. But dude, it is a mental dopamine kick, like that's what I get out of it. Uh, and I do notice some inflammation. Oh, if I'm training hard, my elbows for whatever reason give me fits, and so I notice a little bit of that, but like it's. It's a beyond runner's high, getting in that cold water, doing something tough, and then getting out. Uh, I have done it occasionally at three o'clock, and it's like I've just drank a full cup of coffee. And when I get out of that thing, I'm ready to freaking go. But uh, yeah, I'm on the rewarm here, so this cup of coffee is needed. But back to gear problems. So I bought the Everly Stock Bandit, and I love it. I've hunted with it uh, a few times. It's a real small bag. I think it's like under a thousand cubic inches. Think it's like 800 and good decent pockets i do wish i had one more external that's that's really the only thing done wrong with it but i was going scouting the other day and i was thinking oh i just want a light bag to carry uh water and really maybe if i'd strap one or two horns to it it's not like i'm the bow having 50 antlers problems and go to scout and realize man i gotta pull like four or five cameras in this piece and you start doing the math of cameras with a stick and pick style mount or whatever you mount them to the trees like that's taking up room and that's also some weight so i had to call an audible and grab the xop striker bag and and kind of go with that but i i love that bandit bag bought it for scouting and realized if i'm doing any sort of trail cam i kind of need the other bag it is uh that bag's still valuable and it's it's really well built like it's definitely good straps good buckles I can just tell it's a it's a good quality bag but yeah here I am scouting season and I'm taking my other bigger bag due to needing to pull in cameras and then the other day I did strap the the mega deadhead to it it was a, a big seven and I rough taped him 115 ish but I don't care who you are that's not a Facebook score uh, so 115 as an eight he'd been 125 which one twenty-fives is your stud eights sorry Facebook and yeah just like five and a half inch bases i mean he was a hammer so i have notes here oh yeah in in my day one of off-season scouting i did realize i abandoned a spot way way too soon and i kind of divulged a little bit more in the patreon video but man i had i think no like one good buck in October 24th ish when I pulled the cam and didn't see any deer there that morning. And I kind of pulled the cam and based on population and what I was seeing and the lack of sign compared to where I had found this spot the year prior, I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something bigger at play here that these deer are are shifting or or just not here right now uh, or not here this season. Maybe there's a new clear cut that, Instead of swinging through this area, they're swinging through somewhere else. I just couldn't figure it out real quick on the fly, right? And in a year of EHD, you got to bend and ship. I feel like if, if you think all your your good bucks are dead, so I left that spot. And from the 25th of October to all of November, if I would have sat that thing four or five times, I probably shot a, shot one. Um, maybe not, but like it was the most most quality bucks regardless of daytime and nighttime and then obviously a handful of good daytime photos uh let alone if a deer maybe skirted the the main trail by five six yards uh like i saw the coyote when i hunted there this coyote came literally he was coming right through the the main pinch if you will that i was i was hunting and he was going to cut the i think he was going to cut the ridge system short by 20 yards so i would have never got him on cam and i think maybe some bucks do that too on that spot but uh yeah, dude, I definitely abandoned ship. And I don't know where these. I, I, that's the other thing. No, None of these books that I have, like, I'm going to just quantify November pictures of. Like, they were not there in October. Like, I had no reason to think they were would be coming through. Like, at least if I had nighttime photos, I'd be like, okay, he's going to bebop through here potentially during the rut in daylight. Um, none of that. So. That is what it is, but definitely abandoned ship way too soon. Uh, lesson learned, I guess. Big one there. Oh, I have a note here. Uh, congratulations goes out to uh, Jake Bush for joining the Latitude um, Outdoors crew. Uh, that's a that's big. You know, somebody my age getting to, to, to pursue their passion to the fullest, and now work for an outdoor brand company that's doing things at a high level. And I saw they also hired hired um, Aaron Blasey full time. And the fall podcast, great podcast, but I like Aaron. i talk talked to him on the phone a handful of times a year. Uh, does some very good videography, in the, and, and obviously it's just done some cool things, some travel hunts, killed some, some good bucks, had some crazy years where he shoots, I don't know, four deer a year. I mean, just, yeah. Hats off to Aaron. I I like what he does and enjoy his podcast. been enjoying He He's got this cool series going right now of uh, One Giant Mistake, and he's got a co-host, and I I really like uh, kind of the direction he's taken here recently. Uh, Another content. I actually have some notes here on some content I've been consuming, liking, because I think it's important to share positive things, right? Like in today's society, I don't think people give thumbs up or thank yous enough. And I watched a short film, and we're talking under four minutes, on uh, YouTube. It's called Stick and String. It's just a cool short film. It's obviously traditional bow hunting-ish, but like the quality of videography. But then the message. It just talks about the, the pursuit, the, the tapping into the core of hunting. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the other content I wanted to touch on here was a, a podcast, The Deer Hunter podcast guy uh, mr kevin vistason did with a uh, brian broderick of, of day six and they got on the the topic of painting your face and brian talks about it brian obviously has to shoot a bunch of deer uh, every year just due to testing and he's on a, a management program that requires a lot of doe harvest and does a, a decent amount of hunting right brian's a killer and he just doesn't post about it and they got on the topic of painting his face and Brian was like, I've never been spotted from painting my face. And he goes, I think it's ridiculous. These guys running around with uh, – looks like they spent 20 minutes to do their war paint, if you will, their, their face paint. And uh, there was a Braveheart re- uh, reference in there. Uh, and Dave, Dave Ebright is famous for the Braveheart black lines of uh, a little bit thicker on his uh, rut hunts typically, if you will, or if he goes ground game. He, he definitely goes full on uh mel gibson (laughs) but um you know i i'm a big proponent of of paint in the face i think it is uh i think it's what gives you away the most right like i feel like it's a known fact that deer id predators based on like especially man by the the head and shoulders right and if you leave the head at full i don't know skin exposure which is super bright especially come fall when you you haven't been out in the sun as much the the face just sticks out and i'm a big proponent of it, at least throwing some black on there and and just darkening up your overall face when you walk through the woods if a guy's in full camo you, you generally spot him first by his face and so i yeah i definitely would like to hear from you guys the other thing is i know guys do the face mask thing and i'm always afraid of um anchor points right like if a deer walks in now i've got to pull that face mask down a bit and then go to anchor and and if you leave it up if your your anchor's slightly off and i don't want an extra movement to pull that face paint face mask down as a as a deer's walking and i just want to shoot them so i'm a big proponent of, of paint in the face and we'll continue to do so let me know your guys thoughts i, I think it, it'd be interesting because i feel like at first it was kind of cool because the the duck commander crew was doing it and they looked pretty sweet and then it like became uncool when all the major league bow hunter guys were doing these crazy designs and like but i think from a functionality i'm i'm team face paint i think i thought that was a, a funny conversation that i wanted to chime in on the other one i i i listened to uh, lately was the bow hunter chronicles podcast and he had the lusk archery on the guy with the pretty good broadhead type review channel from youtube And just a sticking point to me, which is very opposite of Range Ferry type talk, was the sharpness on a broadhead doesn't have the most effect with penetration. Lust talked about it being a little more of the blade angle, a little bit more of the blade integrity. And I thought that was interesting. And I kind of, I don't know, I think that's probably somewhat true. I feel like I could go to his channel and he'd shoot things into gel and just if one was sharp and one wasn't he, he's probably got he, he was speaking about this on the podcast of course he just there, there the the gap between the sharp broadhead and the non-sharp broadhead wasn't that much and so i, I just thought that was interesting you know and i heard bow hunting fiend talk about this one time uh, and it kind of made a lot of sense like these these broadhead companies have specifically designed tools to sharpen the broadheads and yes there's some aftermarket ways to do it and some broadheads are easier to sharpen than other. but dude like i'm i'm very much a, a plug and play type type guy like i don't want to spend time necessarily sharpening my broadheads i'd rather shoot a few arrows i'd rather prep my stuff for my next hunt i you know there's there's in the world i live in where you got a family you're trying to hunt hard scout as much as you can because you can't do that due to just drive times and job and life it's like man you get i try to eliminate some of those jack around type tasks or whatever i kind of like some plug and play items in my life that's why i honestly i i was a fan of the slick trick style broadheads for years not only do i feel like those are a, a solid accurate head but you could swap the blades out you could really shoot the piss out of them swap the blades out and go hunt now i i do think there's oh personally the thinness of a slick trick kind of worries me a little bit as far as catching a uh, a bone or something like i would think something like an afflictor an iron will a day six even maybe a g5 strike like some of those heads with the thicker blades are, are probably going to hold up way better but i do like the the plug and play ability uh any other outdoor news i'm thinking of here oh i've been down the youtube of oh affordable good budget guns <laughs> in the firearms world um a couple things i, I do not wish i i've I've got a crush for for some 1911s out there and have not pulled the trigger and i i swear at age 21 i'd have like 10 guns by now uh i did look did pick up a new oh smaller-ish nine millimeter i did go with the uh, gx4 from taurus and that i've put about a handful of rounds through it and seem to like it i i do like its size and They had it marked down about seventy-five dollars advances, so that was a solid win right there. I did see that Smith and Wesson just released a folding carbine, nine-millimeter carbine, and kind of, oh, kel had one for several years, but uh, it looks like um, I know Ruger released a oh, some sort of mini-ish carbine uh, two, three years ago. And now, look, Smith & Wesson is doing that. One other final segment before I get to the perfect deer hunting rules and regulations, which I think you guys are going to enjoy that segment, is sports gambling. It's now been legal in Ohio for a couple months. Me and the boys have uh, had some funny uh, talks or texts around it. But I have won a few NCAA March Madness brackets in my day. I think three of them. And one of which was a really good payday. Um I don't want to brag, but uh, in 2008, I had a top 0.1% bracket on ESPN. But if you're going to win the the office pool or the bracket of friends, there are a few things. One, you've got to get the final games correctish. you got to at least go 50% to the final four. But in a strategy, if you've got multiple brackets, pick two different winners and swap at least 50% of your final four. Or least, if you feel very strongly about three, swap one of them. It's just a very, if you think you're, you're, you know, you can stick to your core guns and, and day one and day two honestly do not matter as far as winning the bracket you, you is concerned. You can pick a few upsets, sure, but those aren't going to make or break you winning the whole thing. So, yes, if I had a strategy, multiple brackets, you sw- swap your winner, definitely, and swap 50% of your final four. All right, guys. Enjoy this segment on the best deer hunting rules and regulations if I was governor of DNR. The only thing I think I didn't fully elaborate on is I have a crossbow season that starts October 15th and runs through, I think I just said the 30th. I meant the 30th of November. So month and a half season, you'll get more details on that why. Ohio DNR, what are you doing? So this video is kind of going to be funny, a little bit lighthearted, but the DNR just released uh, last week their plans and any updates they're going to make to the new rule changes for next season. And I was shocked to see no mention except for one county of a reduction of bag limits. And that's awful considering how hard we got hit with the HD and kind of had a on par, maybe slightly above par, uh, harvest reports come in. And it's like, wow, like we clearly as a DNR don't value the resource at a level we do, when states surrounding us step in the same year that EHD breaks out and start limiting dough and and buck harvests. Um, So I think it's a little ridiculous and I wanted to shoot a video on this. I thought a funny, cool spin would be, okay, if I was governor of DNR, GOVERNOR OF DNR, what rule changes would I make? And so I I will make these specific around deer season. And something I think is worth noting is I heard on the Hunter podcast an interesting perspective that the equipment and the technology, we're really evolving at the craft of deer hunting and the laws and regulations are not keeping on par to like maintain the resource. And I thought that was a good way to phrase up a lot of what's happening and okay let's get to my proposed changes if i was governor of dnr so let's start with season dates i think that's a very good way to look at things i'm going to give stick bow guys the max time because they have the least efficient weapon if you will i feel like that's just logical right so stick bow guys september 15 through end of january that is your season Take it and run with it. The compound guys kick off October 1. I think that's a very popular date across the Midwest. Several states open. And I'm going to cut those guys off January 15th. So stick bow guys obviously get about a month and a half longer crossbow guys. And I thought about booting all crossbows in general. Um, or making them very regulated like Iowa does. And I think what I'm going to do is put those in season from October 15th through the 30th. And why I think crossbows nowadays need their own season is they are... Very effective deer killing tools. Um, sure, it's a great way to introduce somebody to the outdoors. I'm not super anti-crossbow, but when you can shoot a 50 and 100 yard group better than my grandpa's 30-30, I think that is not technically a archery weapon. There is no anzis for butts. Literally no recoil. 50, 100 yards shooting better than 30-30s. We're gonna put that in its own season. My gun season dates, and what I think I want to do is one. Ohio's gun season starts on a Monday that's a terrible idea it's like the super bowl being on sunday when everyone's hung over at work on a monday like we need to change so i'm gonna have two gun seasons centered around weekend hunting because the world most americans are off work on weekends it's just fact and we're gonna have those be like the saturday sunday monday after thanksgiving be the gun season one if you will and then the following will be two weeks later. Well, this year, that would have been around the 10th through the 14th. That'll be a four-day, or it'll be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. That gives guys two separate weekends-ish to do plenty of firearm hunting. You get them after the rut. You get them in December. There's still some, some you know slight secondary rut. Like, I just think that's a good, happy medium. I will put muzzleloader season as the first full weekend in January. We'll kick that thing off like the Friday, Saturday, Sunday like a three-day muzzleloader season. I I mean, and no BS with muzzleloaders. You got to load them. It's got to be powder or pellet form. None of these like pre-made cartridges that all you're doing is putting in a... That's not a muzzleloader. Heck, we might even look to make these things uh, like iron sights only or something. Like it should be somewhat of a primitive uh, style pursuit on muzzleloader weekend. Uh, I think for bag limits and, and looking at what you can harvest, every hunter can have a buck tag. I think that's cool. But as far as doe tags and distribution, like I think the DNR needs to do that on a county basis. And there's no excuse now with the the drone thermal type technology, the DNR, like you can survey your grounds and kind of know how many does are in per county, but definitely do it on a per county basis. Like if you've got counties with tons of does shoot them, but if counties, you know, maybe have a lacking doe quality and that can change year to year or every two to three years, whatever you think. But I, I would like to see a more, Uh, dialed in specific uh, doe type harvests because you know there are there are areas that does should live and so some years maybe you dial that back. These are kind of some odd and end things and a lot of these actually stem from other states and I would like to see maybe an extra little like pass or stamp or something for maybe certain forest WMAs and honestly that's to generate a little extra cash like even an extra dollar per hunter is a lot of dollars at the end of the day when everybody gets charged it. And that's for the DNR to to maybe do things like food plots or buy these, you know, additional research, put in better archery ranges for the public. And I've seen other states do this and I think it's a good way to incorporate like a little better um, cash, you know, if you believe a certain state forest maybe is a little better, you know, because you're going to put on some timber projects. I think, you know, asking a couple extra bucks to hunt that specific unit not a terrible idea. Out of state hunting, you know, as a state here that gets a lot of easternish pressure, like I like guys to be able to go other places. I go other places, but I think the West had figured this out. When you have a demand for a product, a big game tag, you need to watch the onslaught of a- outward pressure from other states, and so probably some sort of drawish type type uh, system should be put in play for for. Ohio, right? The demand's there. You can fetch some extra dollars as well. I think those are all good things. And again, extra dollars for the DNR puts better resources like archery ranges, boat ramps, stuff like that. I'm going to totally kick baiting out. I don't think you should be allowed to do that. I might put a clause outside of deer season. You can bait. You know, I if, if we're going to have a harsh winter, if somebody wants to dump some extra corn there in February to help you know, get those mamas started off right. I'm okay with that, I think. If you want to run a couple extra minerals on your private ground in the summer to get some picks, okay, but in season, we're taking any, anything with thorny out of the ground, it's got to be out of there. As far as a gun season caliber, I'm gonna let that be up to the specific county. You know, if you want to be able to use a 270 because it's a rural enough county and, and population density isn't bad, Okay, go for it. Definitely kicking out cell cams, drones, uh, regular trail cams. I might limit to public land. I think public land needs to be very untouched a, a wilderness, a wildlife area uh, for all to enjoy. I, I would hate to see the day that he with the most trail cams on public land is the best hunter. Um, so, no baiting on public land. Uh, no permanent stands. Oh, another kind of uh, public land style rule that I've seen. Some states have draws for certain pieces of public. Some also maybe consider no gun hunting on some of their public land to maybe have a little bit better pursuit, a little better numbers, a little bit higher caliber. I'd like to see Ohio maybe step that up for a few WMAs that want to be a little better managed. But guys, I want to hear from you. What are a couple of these laws? Do you like anything I said that you would want to adapt? also if you watch our social feed I will be posting a link to the March open house comment for the ODnR I think we need to ways we need to raise a little bit of awareness around um, putting in your your voice to the uh, ODnR if you will appreciate you guys watching hope you like this video team harder and bucks we're out